are Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up and welcome to another Monday edition of Locked On NBA, the biggest stories with the local experts. I'm your Monday host, Jackson Gatlin, also host of Locked On Rockets right here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Today, we'll be chatting with Ben Beacon from Locked On Wolves as Minnesota makes a huge splash, trading a fortune for Utah Jazz big man Rudy Gobert, forming a Twin Towers in the Twin Cities with Carl Anthony Towns. Then we chat with Brad Rowland from Locked On Hawks as DeJounte Murray joins Trey Young in Atlanta. What's the ceiling for this Hawks new backcourt duo? Lastly, we chat with Doug Norrie from Locked On Nets because, hey, where does Kevin Durant get traded to amidst his trade request to get out of Brooklyn? Does he get traded at all? What's the best outcome for the Brooklyn Nets in this situation? Now, today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has covered the season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online, it's where the game starts. As always, we appreciate you for making Locked On NBA your first listen each and every day, free and available on all platforms as well as YouTube. Just go to YouTube, search Locked On NBA, like, comment, subscribe, all that good stuff. Joining us now is Ben Beacon from Locked on Wolves. You can follow on Twitter at B Beacon. Now, now Ben, until until the KD situation resolves itself, uh, the Rudy Gobert trade is the biggest trade of the offseason so far. Let's kind of unpack this. Uh, leaving the Minnesota Timberwolves, they're dealing Malik Beasley, Patrick Beverly, just drafted Walker Kessler, and Jared Vanderbilt, plus four future first round picks in 2023, 2025, 2027, those three unprotected, and then a top five protected pick in 2029. On the surface, that seems to be a pretty steep price to pay for Rudy Gobert, effectively five first round picks and some rotation players on top of that to match salary. Was this an overpay in your mind from Minnesota? That's such a tough question to answer. So I, I, you know, on its face, yes. I mean, I think, I think, um, if we're just looking at this in a vacuum, what they gave up, essentially, like you said, five first-round picks because there's, there's four three unprotected picks, a protected pick, plus the guy you just drafted, plus a swap. So kind of six picks, plus a good chunk of your rotation. Uh, so, yeah, I think in a vacuum. But on the other hand, they didn't give up any of their top five players, um, You know, depending on what you think about Patrick Beverly. And obviously, he was really important to the team last year, but he's a free agent next year. He's 32, you know, that whole thing. So they've got... They've still got Carl Anthony Towns, Anthony Edwards, Jaden McDaniels, and D'Angelo Russell, who you would argue are are certainly their top four players. Um, and then you're adding another probably top 20 player, um, almost certainly. And so obviously the bet here is, uh, you know, assuming Anthony Edwards makes uh, another mini leap or even a larger leap, if he becomes a top 20 player himself and you've got three top 20 players, uh, certainly top 25 players on your roster, then then it feels about right. You know, there, there's a lot of things to hash out, but, um, you know, on its face in a vacuum, sure, I, I can buy that. Obviously, the Timberwolves are taking a big swing, um, but but the bet is obviously, hey, we're going to have three top 20 players plus Jaden McDaniels. We kept our top four guys. Um, so you can understand why they made the move, certainly. Yeah, no, I think uh, you got to commend the Timberwolves for taking the big swing. Whether yeah. or not the big swing ultimately pays off is a completely, not, you know, a completely different set yes. of questions. But w- when we look at this, I think especially like, you know, for me and for many others, I think you're looking at this trade and you're kind of scratching your head at the fit between Rudy Gobert and Carl Anthony Towns, two legitimate fives at the NBA level. Now you've got, uh, you know, the the Twin Towers and the Twin Cities, if you will. And at this point, I mean, how how does that pairing even look with with Rudy and Cat sharing the floor with one another? 
I think you could do a lot of different things. I mean, certainly defensively, you could do what the Timberwolves did last year, which is play a lot of high wall pick and roll coverage. And you play Towns at the level of the screen and then Gobert can roam the back line and, and kind of, you know, protect at the rim, which is what he's best at. The Jazz did a lot of drop coverage with Rudy. And it worked until certain times in the playoffs, but that was largely because the Jazz perimeter defenders, primarily Donovan Mitchell, Clarkson, Bogdanovich, these guys just could not contain the ball. And if, if the Wolves want to play drop, if Gobert is in the pick and roll, then then they can. And then, you know, Cat can play high wall when he's in the pick and roll and you have Gobert roam the baseline, like I said. And then the other thing is you just have better perimeter defenders that can A, contain the ball, and then B, when the defense collapses, go back and watch some of those those playoff losses, you know, this year to Dallas and and, you know, last year as well for the jazz um, it's because Gobert was both trying to protect the rim and get back out on the perimeter and contest the corner three. As long as you have guys that can X out on the perimeter and contest corner threes that are, you know, aware and versatile and mobile, um, then I think it works defensively. And I would argue that the Timberwolves, I mean, Jaden McDaniels is better, far better as a perimeter defender than anyone the jazz has. I would argue Kyle Anderson, new signee as well uh, would is as well. And Anthony Edwards was pretty good on the ball last year. Torian Prince is a pretty versatile defender. So, there's a better group of defenders around Gobert. He was essentially the only good defensive player, really, that played consistently besides maybe Royce O'Neal, and he wasn't as good this last year. Um, and he dragged the Jazz defense into a top-10 defense. With him off the floor, Utah was was not a playoff-caliber defense. Um, and then offensively, I think I think you can, you know, same thing. I mean, the, the Wolves have essentially played with, with a five next to Towns all along. Towns plays more like a four. Jared Vanderbilt doesn't shoot outside of three feet next to the rim. So he, even though he was a four, he played functionally like a five. So you can do a lot of the same stuff offensively, but Gobert has far more, uh, he's far more dangerous, more role gravity in the pick and roll than Vanderbilt's ever did. He's got far better hands than Vando. Um, so it's, there's certainly more versatility, I think, than, than, you know, maybe people who are only kind of paying attention might think, uh, but there's certainly going to be, you know, the turbo's going to need to be creative. I think on both ends of the floor, because to your point, playing essentially two seven footers, um, you know, it, it's not something a lot of teams are doing right now. You know, I, I love that you highlighted the perimeter defenders that the Wolves do have because I do think you're absolutely right. They've got a, a much better squad, you know, oriented towards, you know, kind of defending the perimeter than the Jazz really ever had in the uh, Gobert, Donovan Mitchell era, if you will. And so I'm excited to kind of see how that plays out. But I can't help but look, Ben, at the at at Cat, right? You talked about flexibility, versatility defensively and and. Maybe I'm underselling Cat here a little bit, but I just look at him as the weak link in that defensive chain, if you will. And that's he's going to be the guy that everybody targets. So to you, d does Cat have the ability to effectively play the four defensively, which in today's NBA means, uh, you know, oftentimes guarding wings on the perimeter? Mm -hmm. I think so. I mean, my main my main concern for him isn't in the pick and roll because once they switched, once they stopped playing drop coverage a couple of years ago, um, he actually was pretty good this year defensively. I would put him as, you know, maybe a slight net positive defensively for the Wolves because of the scheme they were playing, right? But if he, my concern would be if teams, and this is also similar to what teams did to go bear in the Jazz, is if they just play five out and if they can isolate Towns on the ball, he's far better than a lot of certainly most fives and even some fours in terms of lateral quickness and combined with some pretty good length and, and, you know, decent athleticism, but the foul trouble issue is a bigger deal for him. I think he can stay in front of guys, but now that he's one of the most foul prone players in the league and has been his whole career, he's got a reputation. And as we all know, reputation precedes these guys. Refs are quicker on their whistles. So I worry a little bit about teams going at towns in isolation more so than I do in the pick and roll. Um, but the reminder the coaching staff will give to Towns is, hey, you've got Jane McDaniels getting chased down blocks. You've got Rudy Gobert in the paint. Like, if you get beat, we'd rather you get beat on a play than pick up a bunch of quick fouls. So that's my main concern. But I think he'll do okay against, you know, 
a lot of fours now are stretch fours anyway, and Towns is is more physical than they are. And as long as he can play within himself and not get into a ton of foul trouble, I think he'll do okay guarding most fours. This past season, the Wolves won 46 games. They you know, were a top spot in the, the Western play-in tournament. They earned a first-round date with the two-seeded Memphis Grizzlies. How much does this move, and in conjunction as well, you mentioned, you know, the addition of Kyle Anderson earlier, which I thought was a sneaky great signing for the Wolves when I was breaking down off you know, free agency winners and losers. I was like, the Wolves absolutely won this, getting Kyle Anderson on such a, mm-hmm. you know, a relatively team-friendly deal for the production that he provides. Yeah. How much do these two moves really move the needle for the Timberwolves? Do you, do you think they could make a jump and be a, a top four team in the West this season if they were to roll into the season with this exact lineup that they have right now? I think it's certainly possible. I, I think my initial reaction right when it happened was, oh man, you know, this makes them a run better. I mean, the Jazz consistently got to the second round in the playoffs, uh, you know, for most of the Gobert and Mitchell era. And it feels like that's, you know, it makes them a top eight, 10 team in the league. That that was kind of my initial reaction. Then, of course, you go, you look at the Western Conference standings, and you remind yourself, like, hey, Golden State's not going anywhere. Denver's likely not going anywhere with their, you know, Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. getting healthy. Uh, the Suns are, pro- I mean, people are just kind of forgetting about the Suns because of the way their season ended. I mean, that's that's three teams right there. And then obviously Memphis is lurking and, and Dallas isn't probably going anywhere. So it's going to be really tough. I think certainly what it does, and, and it better if you're giving it five first-round picks, um, it, it certainly raises the floor, right? There's no there's no way they should finish below the sixth seed in the Western Conference. But the ceiling, I think, is probably still a little bit better. I, I think that you know this team is absolutely a top-six team in the West, and they very well could be the third or fourth seed. If things come together the way that the Timberwolves front office and, and head coach Chris Finch, who, by the way, this is a much longer conversation, and I'll definitely talk about this on Lockdown Wolves, but he was uh, a big part of the Pelicans uh, coaching staff when they played DeMarcus Cousins and Anthony Davis together. He was a big part of a season in Denver with Nurkic and Jokic together. He likes to play big. He talks often about how when he coached overseas, he played three centers together in Europe because that's what he had to do. And so Finch, I think, is really going to enjoy this challenge to, to play these guys together. Um, and that's kind of an interesting side thing to keep an eye on, but I do think it, it raises the floor and also the ceiling a little bit as well. Um, and I think a top four seed is certainly, certainly plausible. What will Rudy Gobert look like in Minnesota? How will the Twin Towers experiment work between Gobert and Cat under Chris Finch? You're going to have us covered for all of that and more over at Locked on Wolves. Ben, I appreciate you stopping by Locked on NBA with me. Of course. Thanks, Jackson. Coming up, the Atlanta Hawks landing an all-star backcourt running mate for Trey Young in DeJounte Murray. What's the ceiling for the Atlanta Hawks with this new addition to their team? What's the future for John Collins in Atlanta? But first, a quick message from our friends over at Bet Online because BetOnline.net continues to be your number one source for all of your sports betting needs and stats. Info, find the latest sports developments, league reviews, and news, including Major League Baseball, MMA, boxing, UFC, golf, you name it, they have it over at Bet Online. They've got you for all your sports wagering information, including live betting, esports, scores, and more. And speaking of more, you can even take a look right now to find out who are the odds on favorite to win Rookie of the Year at Bet Online right now, Paolo Bancaro at plus 300 for the Rookie of the Year award this next season. You got Jabari Smith Jr. clocking in at number two at plus 375. Chet Holmgren in third place at plus 575. And then rounding out the top five candidates, you got Jaden Ivey at plus 650. And Keegan Murray, a distant fifth at plus 900. So for all of that and more odds, head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and action available to you. Bet Online, it's where the game starts. 
and continuing on here at Locked On NBA Monday. As always, appreciate you for making Locked On NBA your first listen each and every day. Joining us now is Brad Roland from Locked On Hawks. You can follow on Twitter at BT Roland. Now, Brad, DeJounte Murray joining the Atlanta Hawks, one of the bigger trades so far of this NBA offseason. Uh, we're going to talk about kind of how that moves the scale a little bit for this Hawks team. But let's just start first. Let's look at the actual package here outgoing from Atlanta. Uh, three first-round draft picks and then Danilo Gallinari, uh, the three picks 2023, 2025, 2027. For DeJounte Murray, a, a budding all-star. Honestly, this seems like pretty fair value on the surface, wouldn't you say? Yeah, it, it's definitely a full price they paid. This is not a bargain by any means for the Hawks, but uh, considering what they think he's possibly going to be able to do to help their franchise, the fact that he was an all-star selection this last season, they're buying high on him in some ways, which is not necessarily always the greatest thing to be doing trade value-wise, but they certainly uh, pay a price that, they, that they're okay with. Um, there's some downside risk with some unprotected picks at the end, but certainly they're hoping to be in the playoffs and it won't knock them too much at that point. And this is an Atlanta team, right? This past season, a, a little bit kind of, uh, disappointing in regards to how they were two seasons ago, you know, kind of maybe I don't want to call it lightning in a bottle or a flash in the pan. I think this Atlanta Hawks team has a lot of talent and can be poised for a lot of success. And hopefully DeJounte Murray is a part of that success moving forward. I, I, just on the surface, how, when you look at, you know, adding Murray to this Atlanta Hawks team, how does he make life easier for a guy like Trey Young in that backcourt? Yeah, it's a, it's a lot easier. Honestly, going into the offseason and even before that, quite honestly, the Hawks were talking about how they wanted two specific things, and it was point of attack defense, like backcourt defensive upgrades, and also another ball handler slash scorer slash creator in the backcourt. And Murray happens to do both of those things. And that's kind of the reason why they paid the price they did. And for Trey Young, obviously, he's still going to be the centerpiece of the team. He's still their guy. But having somebody else on this roster that could be a real threat with the ball in their hands on the perimeter as a penetrator, as a scorer, as an overall creator is going to be so huge for him and also Murray's a really good defensive player Trey of course is famously not a great defensive player so uh, Murray's able to sort of cover up for that take the best assignment in the backcourt and kind of allow them to help uh, sort of hide Trey a little bit more so you know between those things the fact that also Trey seemingly wanted to play to play with DeJounte they're both shared as clutch clients there's a little bit of that backstory as well so all signs point to Trey being pretty happy about this and I think on the on the court it will definitely help him too. So do you envision kind of a, 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 maybe again, you're not, it, you don't want to completely take the ball out of Trey Young's hands offensively, right? Like that's where he's at his deadliest kind of a bit of that heliocentric offense that, you know, the, the Hawks have kind of run with Trey, you know, organizing everything, right? The threat of him to shoot the basketball, the threat to create for his teammates. He's one of the best, uh, you know, offensive engines in the NBA, if you will. But do you kind of envision this as an opportunity for him to maybe operate a little bit more off ball, right? Create some easy opportunities with DeJounte having the ball in his hands and Trey being able to kind of move without the basketball for maybe not not necessarily the first time in his career but being able to do it you know much more than he has in the past yeah and there might be some growing pains there too you know Trey definitely has the capability and the skill sets move off the ball his spot-up shooting numbers have been incredible in his career basically the entire way but just the volume has been very low he's not the most established guy moving off the ball um and also Murray when he's not playing with the ball in his hands is kind of a limited shooter that sort of that, that's sort of the weakness of this pairing potentially is that Murray is not the best off-ball guy right now as a spot-up guy so yeah they're gonna have to have Trey sort of figure it out as to how to not be off the ball all the time but be more comfortable off the ball 
and also have Murray sort of function more as a cutter off the ball, more of a guy who can put, a, put pressure on the defense, attacked, attack with second side closeouts and that kind of stuff like that. So it might take some time. I think the fit does make some sense to me. It's not an absolutely perfect one, though, because you wish Murray was a little bit better of a shooter, potentially that kind of thing. But I do think that Trey will find it easy eventually to move off the ball a little bit more than he has while still, as you sort of mentioned there, still being the primary option because everybody agrees it's still his team. He's still going to be the guy with the ball in his hands more often than not. Do you kind of envision, you know, DeJounte Murray stepping into, is is he going to be kind of like the second, or at least like talent-wise, do you view DeJounte Murray as now the second most talented player on this team? Do you still think there's an argument there that John Collins is that guy? How do you kind of view the hierarchy on this team now? Yeah, I think they they definitely believe that Murray is going to be their number two guy. Um, I'm a big Collins fan, to be honest with you, but obviously he's been in trade rumors for quite some time. It would, still would not stun me if they moved off from him in the next couple of weeks, even. So that, that with that without in mind and the and the price they paid for Murray, they they think that he's their number two guy for sure. And I think the fact that uh, you know he does have that All Star pedigree now, and they have this natural thing when Trey leaves the floor to where they can kind of run everything through Murray and still have that opportunity, you know, 10, 12 minutes a game where Murray can still be Murray and be the guy that he was in San Antonio and kind of have uh, that sort of those muscles, not atrophy necessarily while Trey is still on this roster. So yeah, they believe he's their number two guy. That makes a lot of sense given the price they pay, given what he's going to be owed in the future if they were to re-sign him down the line and the numbers that he's put up. I think the gap probably is not as big between Murray and guys like Collins and Capella as some people may think that, that it is, but uh, I do believe, and that's pro- it's probably just because I'm a little bit higher than, on Collins and Capella than everybody else is, but Murray's really good, and they believe in him, obviously, as you can see by what they paid for him. Yeah, it'll be kind of interesting to see if they have a bit of a maybe a your turn, my turn kind of dynamic between Trey and Murray where, you know, they each get that, you know, 10 to 12 minutes a night to kind of run the show, if you will, without the other one on the floor. And maybe that kind of changes the, the dynamic of how things look offensively being, you know, very completely different players and how they get the job done offensively, you know, when they do have the ball in their hands, when when it is kind of their show to run, so to speak. But I'm glad you brought up, you know, the kind of the trade rumors circulating around John Collins, because it seems like I, I feel so bad for Collins because it feels like like he's constantly been in trade rumors for what, like two years now. And so I'm curious to you, just what is his future in Atlanta, right? Is it just kind of murky right now? And if the Hawks were to trade him, like what kind of return would you ultimately be seeking for a guy like John Collins at this point when you've already picked up a guy like DeJounte Murray, who Collins was mentioned in rumors for him originally, right? So. Yeah, it's really interesting all the way across because you know, for one thing, I never understood the urgency to trade John Collins. I think he's a really good player on a very solid, reasonable contract. He's not a huge bargain anymore. They paid him last summer, and that's now he's making real money at twenty-five-ish million dollars a year. But with the new environment, with the cap, he's perfectly fine in terms of you know, value on that deal. He's a really good player, and I think part of the impetus to potentially trade him was to kind of make that their one sort of big picture move. They want to just kind of change something. There was a mandate from the top to just like do something different uh, going into next season. And they managed to do that without trading him. So I think that might have lessened the burden on definitely trading him, but he's still available. And I think that, as you mentioned, it's really tough to be a guy like that and be in rumors for, like you said, two straight years, basically. And he's a pro. He always plays hard. I think if they were to bring him back, he won't be a problem. I think he'll be he'll come in and play hard. But it's definitely a little bit weird to, when you know that you were so available. And honestly, for the first time, I was thinking and I was hearing behind the scenes that it was more likely than not he was going to be traded. I've always been skeptical that he would be moved, but it really the buzz got very, very loud in late June and in the first couple of days of July. So I'm not sure if they're going to pull him back now. And the, the big thing as, tar- as far as the return is concerned is that the Hawks know if they were to trade John Collins, they want to win now. That Murray deal was a win now kind of move. And you can't just trade Collins with no return at the power forward spot because outside of Jalen Johnson, who they drafted in 2021, 
who's the only and honestly he barely played last year. Like they, they like him, but you can't go into the season winning in sort of a win now mode with only that guy as your power forward. So they have to get back a power forward, and that makes the, any deal so much harder when you have to replace the guy that you're trading immediately. You speak about Atlanta being in kind of that win now mode, right? Dejounte Murray is a win now type player, win now trade. Uh, you know, pairing him with the uh, you know the other core pieces there of Trey Young, John Collins, Capella. Like you know, this is an exciting Atlanta team. What really kind of threw me for a loop here, and maybe you can you know shine a light on this, Brad. Is I was kind of taken aback at them dealing Kevin Herter. You know, he seems like a guy who's been a big part of what Atlanta's you know done. He seems like a you know very solid offensive player, exactly the type of guy that you would want to have around a Trey Young to kind of be able to feast off the opportunities that he gets for him. But dealing Kevin Herter to the Sacramento Kings for Justin Holiday, Mo Harkless, and a future first round draft pick give us your breakdown of this trade and kind of you know how you've evaluated it to this point yeah it's an interesting move you know I was not shocked by it particularly after the Murray deal because if you wanted to look at it this way you could say look they now have Murray as the primary shooting guard I know he's, he's going to play a lot of point guard behind Trey as well but he's going to start at the two and you also have Bogdanovich still on this roster so they had three guys who were basically starting caliber shooting guards and to move one of them does make logical sense but for me, there's that inkling out there of like they actually they also save some money in that trade. And there's the uh, potential of a tax avoidance kind of thing with this Hawks team that I've been hearing behind the scenes for a while. Um, but it really comes down to, you know, future facing money. Herter just starting a four year deal, I think, with DeAndre Hunter coming up from extent for an extension potentially and maybe a new deal going into next year. They have big money on, on the books now for Trey and Murray and Capella the, and a Kongu down the line, all that stuff. They have a lot of money committed. And I think that was always part of this. Also. You know, they get a guy, Justin Holiday, who I think is a valuable piece. It's an expiring contract, so you can't like go, you know, one for one on that. But Holiday is probably a better natural fit on this roster in terms of just like clear path to playing time in some ways. The herder, but I didn't love it to be honest. I think from from a value standpoint, that first round pick is kind of a fake one from the from the Kings in some respects. Um, it might convey, but the Kings are, uh, as everybody knows, the one team you cannot just assume is going to make the playoffs in the next three or four seasons. So no lock there that that's going to happen. If they get a first round pick in the deal, the value becomes just fine. But it is a little bit confusing on the outside. Like, why? Why are they trying to get a little bit worse here with this with with this trade? Because of what they've done elsewhere, they're obviously trying to win. And you know, Holiday is a pretty good player right now, but he's not he's not quite as good as Kevin Herter is. So it's kind of it's kind of a weird dynamics uh, up and down this entire transaction, really. What does the backcourt pairing of Trey Young and Dejounte look like? Dejounte Murray look like in Atlanta. What will the future for John Collins be with the Hawks? Will he have a future with the Hawks? You're gonna have us covered for all of that and more over at Locked On Hawks, Brad. I appreciate you stopping my Locked On NBA with me. Thanks for having me. Coming up, what happens with Kevin Durant in Brooklyn? What is the best possible trade return that the Brooklyn Nets could get? for Kevin Durant. Will he actually get traded after all? What happens with Kyrie Irving? What's the best possible outcome for Brooklyn out of this entire situation? How do they make the most out of a bad situation? But first, a quick message from our friends over at rockauto.com because with the ever-increasing number of makes and models, it's basically impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts that you could possibly need. You can save time and money when using rockauto.com. Why choose to spend 30, 50, or even 100% more for the exact same parts from a chain store or car dealership? Best of all, rockauto.com is a family business. They've been serving do-it-yourselfers online for over 20 years. The prices are always reliably low for every single customer. They've got everything you could possibly need from brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, even brand new carpet. So go explore their easy-to-use website today to find the solution to your auto parts needs. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. And this is really important part. 
When you go to check out, be sure to write Locked On in their How Did You Hear About Us box so that they know that we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Be sure to visit rockauto.com. And final segment here at Locked On NBA Monday. As always, appreciate you for making Locked On NBA your first listen each and every day. Free and available on all platforms, including YouTube. Joining us now is Doug Norrie from Locked On Nets. You can follow on Twitter at Doug Norrie. Now, Doug, in the midst of all of this just mess, we're just going to call it a mess for now. We'll keep it kind of PG going on with the Brooklyn Nets. I mean, when you're looking at what a potential outcome for this entire Kevin Durant saga is going to potentially look like for Brooklyn, what are you looking for as the potential best outcome from this situation is it is it maybe a return like what the Rockets got for James Harden just a mountain of draft capital or would they be better off trying to secure a package that has say maybe a true like cornerstone piece an established yep. player to try and you know bring into the fold and and continue to be relevant right away yeah so okay well I would say I would start by saying the truly best outcome would be somehow everyone just makes amends and they don't have to do any of this and Durant and Kyrie and everyone come back I'm still sort of like five percent on that island and I'm probably sitting by myself but the outside of that I think the the Durant and to some degree Kyrie's situation are different than other cops that we've had pretty recently like Harden or even Gobert or DeJounte Murray, these trades that have just been massively um, front-loaded with or back-loaded with, with draft picks. The problem with this that situation for the Nets is the Nets don't own any of their draft picks going forward, so they can't tank. They just have to get players back. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Heading over to the Rockets to see how it's going. And I know you and I have talked about this before, but the 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 Nets cannot there's no incentive for the Nets to tank because the Rockets would, unless they just want to make the Rockets better going forward. So they basically have to get talent back to be able to just at least stay relevant to sell tickets, maybe hopefully make the playoffs as like a play-in or, you know, a six seed or something like that. So I don't think those Gobert, like five picks ones are good cops. I think they need to get something like, they need to get talent right back. So whether that's a DeAndre Ayton and Mikhail Bridges, something like that, I'm holding out this like weird hope that Toronto, the rumors around Toronto jumping into this and some package around Barnes and OG and an OB are, is like something that might be palatable or even like Siakam and the other guys don't come back. But bottom line is, and I, the Nets know this obviously is that they just can't, they just can't take a ton of draft picks back because being bad, it won't matter at all. They cannot tank. And so getting the draft capital, then what they're doing then is just sitting around for the next few years, hoping the other team is bad, which is not going to happen because they're getting Kevin Durant. (laughs) So it's, they're in a really, really, really tricky spot. So I'm just going to say this by like, stop by saying they have to get some kind of talent back in the door that can allow them to at least tread water slash maybe be good ish. They're not going to be able to be a, a contender, but that has to be pretty much their starting point. You know, you, you mentioned, right, they're in such an awkward position, right, not owning yeah. their future draft capital, courtesy of the James Harden trade. All yeah. the picks are sitting in Houston. Would that not be an enticing, like, potential trade partner than if you're the Brooklyn Nets to maybe see if you could loop Houston in as maybe a third team and instead of getting back, say, you know, you mentioned Scotty Barnes earlier from Toronto or, the, you know, other rumors of, obviously, the biggest one linked so far is, you know, Kevin Durant really wants to play in Phoenix, so there's the yeah. DeAndre Ayton rumors, like, something like that where maybe you reroute the the player, the the tangible asset from the trade, 
to a team like Houston, and then the Brooklyn Nets potentially do or could get a majority of, if not all of their draft capital back from Houston in some permutation of a trade like this, and then they would have the ability to truly bottom out and not kind of be stuck in that NBA middle ground. Do you think that's an enticing possibility and one worth at least exploring by the Nets front office? If I was Houston, I don't know. I know why, but to be so incentivized to do it, because if you're Houston, yes, okay. The answer, the answer is yes. It would be great to claw back anything that they that they gave up in the hard in the deal. Which I will still go on record saying I make that deal ten times out of ten. So I I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be the group that's gonna be like, oh, you never should have done that. I stand by that. I would make that deal every single time. But if you can claw back those picks at all, of course you do it. If I'm the Rockets, I'd be really hard pressed to do that, only because. I'm looking at this situation and licking my lips and thinking, man, this is about to turn out so great because short of a great return, they are just going to stink <laughs> here possibly. And at that point, I don't know. I mean, the Rockets, but yes, the, I don't know why the Rockets would do it, but yes, if they could claw back and get two of those picks back or something like that, where you knew you could just go through a tank here um, and just try to you know, reshape your franchise, sure. I do think there is a real world though where there are might be just enough scenarios of other teams wanting to ship off some of these other guys that could help them stay at least relevant now. And like that is the Toronto package that's just been sort of weirdly floated out there. Uh, that is the, the the Phoenix package, which includes Aiton, you know, who's still I know he's getting dragged hard. He's still a good player, right? I, I, I would it would be a terrible situation, but it would start to, you know, start to do something for the wins wise. You know, they've heard little bits and bobs about Donovan Mitchell coming out of, out of Utah now because, you know, after the Gobert thing that they might just be completely blowing it up. Like these are some small functional ways to at least be interesting slash maybe make the playoffs. And, but yeah, I, I don't know. This, if you hear me kind of like hedging a little bit, it's only because like you said at the beginning, this is almost the worst. Po- it is the worst possible scenario for that. This went off the rails so bad that like that needs like a TSA investigation. It just is so <laughs> it is so rough around what has happened here because they just tied their ship to just three guys who I guess we just can just say they just from a franchise perspective can't be trusted. I, I don't know. I and mean, whatever they if they have legitimate gripes, they have legitimate gripes. I get it. But it's just they went for three dudes and these dudes just didn't want to end up playing there and they mortgaged a lot of the future and now they're really about to pay the piper. Yeah, well, and hopefully, again, they're able to kind of, you know, remedy some of that with whatever the return is that they ultimately do get for Kevin Durant. I think, you know, when you look at it from the perspective of, you know, potentially trying to claw some of those picks back from Houston, you're kind of weighing the odds as to, okay, well, maybe Brooklyn is ju- is bad enough to where these convey into some top five, you know, delicious, amazing assets. Or, again, depending on the return that they may or may not get for Kevin Durant, maybe for Kyrie Irving, maybe if we entertain the idea of a Kyrie Irving for Russell Westbrook swap, right? Like, suddenly you're you're looking at the floor of a team that might just be good enough to keep them in like the lottery range, the top end of the lottery, maybe to where they're still clawing for like that seven to 10 seed in the East to where the the picks don't translate to their maximum capability, which is why maybe I think if you're Houston, you're kind of looking at it like, well, if we could get a top end talent right now, then why not go for it and, and trade some of that draft capital back rather than, you know, sitting here wishing and hoping that it turns into something juicy further down the line. But you mentioned some names there. 
Doug, you know, you I didn't mention Westbrook. You, by the way, I'll just put it on record. You mentioned Westbrook, not me. I, I, I I'm not I even didn't... prepared to talk about it. Okay, there, well, you know what? It, it's a possibility, right? It's, it, <laughs> but we gotta we gotta handle the Kevin Durant situation first. I think that's the first domino that's got to fall, sure. and the the Kyrie Irving situation will be resolved afterwards, more than likely, depending on what happens with KD. But of those names that you kind of mentioned there, right? Donovan Mitchell, DeAndre Ayton, the the possible Toronto package. You know, which one of those to you is the most attractive deal, like on the surface? I know we're kind of just speculating right now, but as far as like a building block to kind of get your, you know, hit the ground running and not be completely thrown into NBA purgatory, which one of those names is the most enticing to you? So I, I usually my partner Adam is the trade machine guy. I don't spend too much time in the wild speculation until it becomes very real and it feels real enough to me there that I did fire it up this weekend. The, the one that I like the best, which I do think is like somewhat realistic is a Scotty Barnes, OG Ananobi, Gary Trent, and maybe a pick or two for Durant. Like, just straight up and just do that. I think that gives Toronto actually a core, a kind of core that they can think about, you know, having some upside with Van Vliet, uh, Siakam, and Durant. The money works coming back. I got a, I got some pushback on how many picks would be included. I, I don't actually think Toronto would need to include that many picks in that deal. Like, getting Barnes and OG back, who are just so young on, like, really cost-controlled deals for a while and just have, you know, rookie of the year slash, like, lottery upside, which we've already basically seen. I That, I could, that would be something, if they pulled the trigger on that, I think I could, you know, feel okay about it just because it resets the timeline. They're not a championship team now, but they won't be bad, but they got a lot younger and with real talent that you could dream about. So I think of those scenarios, that's the one – which again is total speculation, but Toronto has been linked to this. So it's not like it's not just getting thrown in out of nowhere here. That's a, that's a one where I could say that's not too bad. If they didn't send a ton of picks back, I think it's okay. Cause you're saying, okay, well I got like a top two pick in Barnes or something like that, or everyone rank him top three, you know, where he comes out of the, you know, maybe not even that high, but those getting a package like that, younger cost controlled talent. You can dream about it. You can shoot from some upside later. And reset your timeline. That's the one that I've kind of seen and now can't unsee. Um, and I don't, and I think the other ones like the eight and stuff kind of pales in comparison to that. And definitely like, a, you know, anything like Miami, like Tyler hero, no thanks. Um, the, so that's kind of where I land right now. So I, I'm have sort of set my goal, my sights on, I have, no goals. I have set my sights on, <laughs> I set my sights on, what Toronto could possibly send back. And I do think it's realistic because I think it fits what they're trying to do also. There's a lot going on in <laughs> Brooklyn. How does the how does the Kevin Durant situation ultimately, you know, solve itself? How, what happens with Kyrie Irving in the aftermath of the Kevin Durant situation? What will the Brooklyn Nets look like, you know, a few weeks from now, a month from now, a few days from now even, right? Who, who knows when this is ultimately going to come to a head. But, of course, you're going to have us covered for all of that and more over at Locked on Nets. Doug, I appreciate you stopping by Locked on NBA with me. All right, brother. Thanks a lot. That's going to do it for another Monday edition of Locked On NBA. As always, appreciate you for checking out the show. If you haven't done so yet, please consider subscribing to the show wherever you listen to your podcasts. That's Apple, Spotify, Google, the Odyssey app, free and available on all platforms. Also, be sure to check us out on YouTube. Just go to YouTube, search Locked On NBA, like, comment, subscribe. But as always, thank you so much for listening. And we look forward to having you back right here at Locked On NBA, the biggest stories with the local experts.